She's never not knitting, and it's making her husband mad. Her husband mad. She just won't stop the stitching, and the neighbors say it really is quite sad. Hi, this is Alana, and you're listening to the Never Not Knitting podcast. Welcome to episode three. Thank you so much to all of those who got in contact with me over the last few weeks. It was great to hear from all of you. I have been so busy with my knitting since I recorded the last episode. Thanks to a little something called Ravolympics. For those of you who don't know what I'm talking about, Ravelry.com is hosting an event where you have to cast on a project in the opening ceremonies at the Summer Olympics, which was on the 8th, and then cast off in the closing ceremonies. So you have 17 days to finish a project. And you're supposed to choose a project that's a challenge for you to complete in 17 days. Well, of course, I wanted to take part in the Olympics along with the rest of the team, Central Coast. So I decided to sign up for the sweater sprint. And I know in last episode, I said that I was going to cast on next for the Winter Wonderland coat, but I very well could not complete the Winter Wonderland coat in 17 days. That would just be insanity. So I decided to cast on for another sweater that I've been dying to make for six months or more now, the Lush and Lacy Cardigan. I mentioned it in episode two. I decided that this would be the perfect sweater to try to make in 17 days. It's a challenge, but definitely not impossible. The gauge on the sweater is pretty is, is pretty big and it's knit on size nine needles. And the yarn that I'm using is a little bulkier than an Aran weight. So it is going really fast. I decided to use the yarn that I had in my stash for this project, Elsbeth Lavold Angora, in a very bright green color. You can see pictures of my progress on my blog. So far, I'm really enjoying this project. As I have previously mentioned, it's a cute little cardigan with lace panels going up the fronts and a really pretty lace panel in the back with a peplum style. So it's got a lot of really interesting features that are fun to knit. I've made pretty good progress. I've completed the back. I finished the left front and now I'm three quarters of the way through the right front. So I definitely think that I'll be finished in time for the closing ceremonies. Since I am on a time crunch with this project, this is all that I have been working on since I cast on. But before I cast on for the Lush and Lacy cardigan, I finished my Retro Redux shrug. And that really was no big deal to finish. It took practically no time to knit. It was a great, fast, easy project, just what I needed after that dreadful Giselle top. So now that's done and the photographs are on my blog. The shrug turned out great. It's very cute. It fits well. It's just the perfect thing to throw over your shoulders when the air conditioning just gets too cold. That happens a lot at work. I work in a small yarn shop and it seems like it's either stuffy and hot in there or freezing cold. So I'll be definitely using this at work. 
You can check out the Scarlet Skeiners group on Ravelry and see pictures of some of the other retro redux rugs that have been finished. It seems like everyone's really plowing through this pattern. Even though I've been exclusively working on the Lush and Lacy cardigan, I still have managed to get a few rows done on my dad's sweater. I like to have my dad's sweater on the needles because it's a great project that I can just simply take in the car with me or knit while I'm teaching a class. It's hard for me to knit the Lush and Lacy sweater during a class because I have to constantly keep looking at the lace panel instructions and make sure I'm on the right row and make sure I'm not supposed to be increasing or decreasing and it would just take me away from the class too much. But the nice ribbed pattern in my dad's sweater is really easy to knit and I don't have to look at it too much. So I am glad that I have that on the needles. As for the evening stockings, I haven't touched them in a really long time, but I'm really looking forward to getting back to those. The Ravelympics are going to be over soon, so I'll have pictures of my finished Lush and Lacy cardigan up on my blog and on Ravelry. Now I think it's time for me to... Bring on the product reviews! For this episode, I'm actually going to be reviewing two magazines. The new Interweave Knits for Fall 2008 and the new Vogue Knitting for Fall 2008. We just recently got both of these magazines into the shop that I work at, and I just thought that the podcast listeners would like to know what kind of patterns are in these issues and see if these magazines would be for them or not. So let's start out with Interweave Knits. To tell you the truth, I'm sort of an Interweave Knits girl more than a Vogue Knitting girl, but the last new Vogue Knitting issues I have liked. But for this Interweave Knits, I like it, but I don't like it as much as I have um, previous issues. But there were some really cute patterns that I would definitely consider making in here. This issue of Interweave Knits has a wide variety of patterns, ranging from socks, hats, a lace scarf, and even some felted bags. My personal favorites, the new Peacoat on page 64, which is a bulky peacoat knit out of two yarns held together, and it's really cute. Um, the model is in red, which I think that red peacoats are cute already, so that's maybe why I'm even more attracted to this pattern. But it's got an interesting texture. It calls it a basket weave texture. It looks like you crisscross the stitches as you knit. It's really cute. It's got a big collar, a belt, and then the classic peacoat style with the eight buttons going up the front. So I will definitely keep, be keeping this pattern in mind. I also really like the pattern Whisper Stripe Pullover by Michelle Rose Orn. And this is on page 66. It's really, really pretty. It's made out of three different wools and it just looks really elegant and feminine. It's got mostly a mohair body and then it's mixed with uh, looks like some silk yarns or um, silk blends. Really pretty. So that one I will definitely be on the lookout for yarns in the shop that I can make that out of. Aside from that, on page 56 and 57, the braided pullover is also a really interesting sweater pattern. 
it's got this kind of asymmetrical cable traveling up the front that is really interesting. I've never seen anything like it before on a sweater. It's just a very classic look. But that bias cable really makes it stand out as different. And it makes it look like a sweater that would be fun and interesting to knit, not just your everyday stockinette stitch sweater pattern. Besides the patterns, this issue also has some great articles. They have two articles on some of my favorite designers. First off, they have an article on Michelle Rose Orne, and she is the designer of the Winter Wonderland coat that I'm obsessed with, and of the new book Inspired to Knit, so I'm definitely going to be looking at this article. And also they have an article on Kate Gilbert, who I have knit some of her designs in the past and she just started the new online knitting magazine Twist Collective which looks really really interesting so I'll definitely be checking that article out as well. Now on to Vogue Knitting. This issue has lots of mittens, cabled sweaters, a pair of very funky socks, a purse, a hat, a scarf, but mostly sweaters. Now, I really like the sweaters under the English garden section from pages 102 to 109, but some of these sweaters in this magazine, in my opinion, may be too fashion forward for their own good. I don't get them, and frankly, some of them scare me. For instance, pages 94, 95, and, ooh, design number 36 on page 113, mmm don't get it. It's too hard to explain. You'll just have to look it up and see for yourself to see what I'm talking about here. But as for the English garden sweaters that I like, they're all cabled and I like pretty much every single one of them. They're all very elegant and feminine, which seems to be the style that I most commonly am drawn to. The designs that appeal to me the most are number 26, which is designed by Nora Gon, and that makes sense because I usually like all of her designs. It's a red sweater with really unique large cables going up the front part and wrapping around the collar of the sweater, and then the rest is worked in a textured stitch which looks like a double moss stitch, and it's also got a matching cable up the sleeves. Very nice, a very flattering sweater, and then it has a one-button closure. Another really interesting sweater that really appeals to me as well is design number 28 on page 105. It's a hoodie with also some very interesting large cable work. The interesting thing about these cables is that there's a large cable motif that goes up the sleeves, but then it expands into ribbing on the shoulder and kind of melds together with the back cable and the other sleeve cable on the back part of the shoulders. Really neat. And then the cable extends up the hood as well, which I don't know if I remember ever seeing that before as a design feature on a sweater. So it's just a pullover hoodie that looks like it would be really quick and really interesting to knit. In fact, it's knit out of Lion Brands Wool Ease Chunky, so it's got a really big gauge, so it would probably go really fast. Perfect for winter time. 
As for all of the mittens in this magazine, I like mittens and all, but most of these patterns don't really appeal to me. They look like they're knit out of very, very chunky yarn. And to me, it, it looks, it just isn't my style. But I do like the design number three. Those are the mittens called Green Autumn, and those were designed by Jared Flood. And if you don't recognize that name, maybe you'd recognize him by his blog name, Brooklyn Tweed. And those look very well done, and it's a smaller gauge, and it definitely looks like more of my style. So I would consider making those, but as for the other ones, I don't know. They're just not me. As for the articles in this issue of Vogue, there's two that I'm especially excited about. The one on page 44 is, looks like two or three page article on Elizabeth Zimmerman. The title says, A Tribute to 50 Years of Inspiration, and it talks about her impact on the knitting world. And I have only knit one design by Elizabeth Zimmerman, the Baby Surprise Jacket, but I see her books all over the place and constantly see her patterns on Ravelry, and I know that she has quite a following, so I'm definitely interested in learning more about her in reading this article. Another article is the one called Ravelry.com. So it looks like it talks about the entire history behind Ravelry and about Jessica and Casey, the founders, and how they got it started and let's see how it works and it shows all the Ravelry stats, all the people that are on Ravelry. This would be a great article for people who are unsure about Ravelry or haven't been on it yet to kind of explain to them what Ravelry is all about and maybe they'll understand how awesome it really is. So if I had to just choose one magazine to get between the two, I would probably have to go with Interweave Knits. Interweave Knits is sort of my all-time favorite magazine. Even though Vogue did have some great articles and some cool patterns, it seems like Interweave Knits has more patterns that I would be able to use, well, whereas Vogue has just a few patterns usually in every issue that I would knit and interweave pretty much every pattern I can appreciate in one way or another. In Vogue it's either, oh that's a really cute pattern, or oh that pattern is really scary and I hate it. And interweave it's more in the middle with all the patterns. Also interweave has a much better layout in my opinion. Vogue knitting is more jumbled and has lots of ads breaking up the articles and it is just harder for me to find where things are. And also they have all of the designs and then in the back all the patterns are written out in very small sections and it's just more cumbersome to go through. But Interweave Knits seems to be organized better and I just really enjoy flipping through Interweave Knits usually more than I do Vogue Knitting. But everyone has their preference between the two. Some people like Vogue, some people like Interweave, but that's my opinion on the matter. Well, unfortunately, I again didn't receive any story proposals from any of the listeners this week. So I have another one of my stories to share with you for this episode. I present the tale of the three first sweaters. Thank you.
Many knitters have an interesting story involving their first sweater project, and I am no exception. Only I have three first sweaters. The one I finished and kept, the one I finished and ripped out, and the one I attempted but never finished. And when I say first sweaters, I'm not counting baby sweaters. I mean first adult sweaters. For the sake of this story, I'm gonna say baby sweaters, they don't count. You see, baby sweaters don't exactly have to fit to look cute. Babies can get away with wearing the most bright, ill-fitted drop shoulder sweaters with the sleeves rolled up seven times and still be cute. For instance, have you ever heard anybody say, would you get a look at that baby? That sweater is so unflattering. It's adding at least 10 pounds to that baby's frame. What was that mother oh, thinking? Yeah. Totally know what you mean. But look at that baby over there. Um, excuse me, but that drop shoulder style, that is just doing nothing for that baby's figure. Oh, you're right. Ew, gross. Let's leave. Yeah, good idea. We adults are not so fortunate. Our sweaters actually have to fit us to look good which makes knitting them a much more daunting task. One of my first sweaters, the one still intact, was knit in the round using super bulky wool yarn and size 13 needles. The armholes are way too big on this sweater, and I resemble a puffy, shapeless marshmallow with bat wings when I wear it. But it is warm. Truth be told, this really wasn't my first sweater project. I actually had previously knit that same sweater a few years ago out of a bulky, slubby cotton yarn. I had just purchased my first real knitting book, Knitting Pretty by Chris Percival, and was attracted to a particular pattern because of its pleasing title, Simple Sweater. I too can make a sweater, I thought, and immediately decided to cast on. I had gone to Imagine It, a yarn shop in San Francisco recently with my dad, and he had purchased two skeins of Ironstone Island cotton for me in a steel gray blue colorway. I was just fascinated by this chunky, slubby cotton yarn that frankly resembled a mop head. I just knew it would make a perfect, simple sweater. It was wound into a long skein and me being a very new knitter with absolutely no patience, couldn't be bothered with winding yarn into balls. So I started right in knitting straight from the unwound skein. But that's not all. There's more. I unfortunately also didn't have the correct circular needles for the sweater, so I just used what I had, which was neither the size or length called for in the pattern. Apparently, I had no knowledge or desire to figure out appropriate gauge. I excitedly started knitting. I cast on for the neck with my very long circular needles tugging the stitches as I went and pulling the wire out between the stitches to make them fit around. What a pain. Did I give up? No. As I began to increase for the raglan shaping, the stitches began to glide more comfortably around the needle. Phew, that was over. Little did I know that there was an even bigger problem looming. That skein of yarn that I had carefully rested on the couch beside me was morphing into a tangled, knotted cotton monster that seemed to have taken on a life of its own. 
not wanting to rip out all of that work I had already done and face another wrestling match with that long circular needle, I just kept pulling my yarn, creating a tighter, uglier knot with each tug. It got to the point where no more tugging could be had. There was just no way around it. I had to cut that yarn. So I did. And I learned my lesson, right? I logically untangled the remaining knot and rolled that yarn into a ball, right? Right? Wrong. I just yanked and pulled at it to loosen the knots and found an end and just kept right on knitting. I continued knitting in this manner over the next couple of weeks, toting around this ridiculous yarn tangle with me. Wherever I went, the monster went. And also a trusty pair of scissors. It got to the point where I couldn't even knit one single round without having to cut the tangled yarn and reattach it. I was getting a bit sick of struggling with the cotton monster knot. Not to mention the inside of my sweater. It was a train wreck with dozens of knots and strings hanging down. But did I give up? No. Fortunately, when it got time for me to add my second skein of yarn, I rolled it into a ball this time. What a difference! But unfortunately, my troubles were not over. Before I started this project, I didn't think to calculate yardage to see if I had enough yarn. I was less than halfway through the body when the first skein had ended. But this didn't deter me. I just kept right on knitting. It soon became quite clear that there was no yarn to make sleeves. In fact, there wasn't even enough yarn to finish the body. Surely I gave up this time, right? No. I am not a quitter. I'm stupid, but not a quitter. I decided it was going to be a bulky, cropped cap sleeve cotton sweater. I stopped knitting several inches shy of where I was supposed to on the body and used my extra yarn to do a ribbed border on the sleeves to finish them off. I tried it on. Not only was it cropped, short-sleeved, and ridiculous, it was also too small. I had cast it off so tightly on the bottom that it dug into my flesh, and it was hard to put on. There were ends sticking out all over the place from all the times I had to cut the yarn, and I didn't even know how to weave them in. This now brings me to the scariest portion of this story. I actually wore the sweater. And I mean out of the house. Before I left, I just tucked in those ends that were hanging down from the inside of the sweater, put a large gray peacoat over it unbuttoned to hide the pathetic sleeves, and looked into the mirror with pride. I practiced how I was going to bring up my newly made sweater masterpiece in conversation with my friends, without showing off or appearing too conceited. Oh, hi guys. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I'm fine. Um, yeah, I gotta go shopping this weekend. I mean, I have to find a new pair of pants to go with this, uh, new sweater I just made. Hmm, does anyone want to go look? Oh, <laughs> by the way, when... I was knitting this new sweater, you know, the one I'm wearing. Um, I watched this really cool new movie. Yeah. Looking back now, wow, how embarrassing. I was so proud of myself, but over time I realized how nice it would be to have a real sweater. You know, one with sleeves. 
I went on a quest to find another skein of yarn to fix my sweater, but couldn't find the right dye lot and ended up ripping the whole thing out. Now I'm stuck with 300 yards of bulky cotton yarn cut into 20 pieces. Now that's a pretty bad first sweater story, but that sweater, it's technically not my first sweater project. Even before that, when I was first learning, back when I bought my 80s knitting booklet that I mentioned in episode one, I cast on for the most hideous, billowy, drop shoulder boat neck sweater out of a worsted weight acrylic. I did mention that this book was published in the late 80s to early 90s, right? When I had cast on, I knew nothing about knitting. I didn't even know how to purl. But I wasn't concerned with minor details such as purling. I was smart, and I would figure it out as I went. I cast on for the 100-something stitches and knit and ripped out that ribbing maybe 10 times. I just couldn't keep those knits and purl stitches aligned. Finally, I got it down and started up the front of the sweater and stockinette stitch. Back then, I knit very, very slowly, so this took me a long time to knit the front. It was a lot of work for me, but I diligently worked on that sweater at every opportunity. I just so desperately wanted to wear my very own hand-knit sweater. By the time I finally finished that huge stockinette stitch portion, which was crammed onto my aluminum straight needles, I decided to hold it up to myself in front of the mirror to see how long it was on me. I transferred half of the stitches to the other needle, spread out my work as much as I could, and held it up against my body. The length was just fine. The width, on the other hand, was not. It was, in fact, ginormous. The front portion could actually be wrapped around my entire body. It was meant to be oversized, but this, this was just ridiculous. The events that follow are a blur, involving tears, furiously ripping out stitches, and stuffing that whole acrylic sweater mess into a plastic grocery bag. So, so frustrating. These first three sweater experiences majorly traumatized me as a knitter and gave me a sweater knitting complex. You can see why it took me years to finally complete a hand-knit sweater for myself. I'm so thankful for these three first sweaters though, because they taught me many valuable lessons. And even though they were awful at the time, they helped to shape the knitter that I am today. Since I can't seem to get anyone to send me a story, I've decided to resort to some good old fashioned bribery. I told you about my first sweater experience now I'd like to hear about yours. This is what I am proposing. Please leave a comment on my blog under the show notes for episode 3 telling me about your first sweater project. If you haven't yet knit a sweater, just tell me your general feelings about sweater knitting. Everyone who participates will be entered in a drawing to win one of the magazines I reviewed in this episode. When you leave your comment, just be sure to specify which magazine either Vogue or Interweave, you'd like to receive if you win. As for the magazine that is not chosen by the winner, I will be awarding that extra magazine to the listener who tells me the most interesting sweater story. 
Any comments that I find funny or interesting, I will share with the rest of the listeners on the next episode. You have until August 30th to leave your comment. Hopefully this will be an easier way for everyone to participate in the podcast. I look forward to hearing from you. Now again, the show notes for this podcast can be found on my blog, and that's at nevernotknitting.com. I'm also over on Ravelry as Never Not Knitting, and if you'd like to contact me about the podcast, you can email me at nevernotknitting at gmail.com. Well, that wraps up episode three. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time. She won't even do the dishes. The house plants, they're all dead. Yeah, her needles are a-clicking. From morning until she goes to bed. She won't take the time to brush her teeth. Let's not even talk about her hair. If it isn't about knitting, she just doesn't really care. She's never not knitting, and it's making her husband mad. Her husband mad. Pop ramen again. She just won't stop the stitching, and the neighbors say it really is quite sad. Nobody has clean laundry, no pants, no shirts, no underwear, but they have closets full of sweaters, and more socks than they could ever wear. There's yard in the fridge, in the cupboards, the bathtub and pantry. Even in the washer and dryer That's why She can't do any laundry I need some clothes She's never not knitting And it's making Her husband mad Her husband mad I'm filing for divorce She just won't stop her stitching And the neighbors Say it's really getting bad She's taking pictures of socks again Oh, poor girl. The house is burning up in flames. Call 911. Her husband says, Get up, let's go. But she can't set down her project. She says, Just let me finish up this row. She's never not knitting. And it's making... Her husband mad, her husband mad. She just won't stop her stitching. And, well, she's losing all she had.